everybody. Uh, my name is Ben Reiser. Uh, I'm with the Wisconsin Programming Committee this year for the Wisconsin Film Festival. I'm here with Brody Koning, who was also on that programming committee. And we are here today to talk to Dale Lindquist, the man behind Becoming Geppetto, which you, I'm assuming, probably just watched or watched in the recent past or thinking about watching and maybe wanted to hear from the filmmaker before you clicked play on your on your screen there. Um, hey, Dale. Nice nice of you to join us. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. We are thrilled to be able to show Becoming Geppetto at this year's festival. It's, Thank um, you. I'm delighted you're showing it. Yeah, it's just a little bit bittersweet that we are having to do our festival virtually online this year, and we couldn't yep. have you come to the festival. And I was just thinking about this, like, oh, how great would it have been if we had been able to get some musicians and their Petros guitars Oh yeah, and, and uh, do a little pre-screening and post-screening. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that would have been terrific. Yeah. yeah. Bruce would have been really up for that. And one of the guitarists lives in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. Well, that's close enough. Um, so uh, I was hoping you would tell us a little bit uh, about your background, because um, reading through your your bio, it wasn't immediately obvious to me the path that you took to wind up making this film. But maybe you could, you know, give us a quick summary of, of how you got here. Uh, well, how, how I got into film or how I got into this film? Well, how you, how you got into what you've been doing all these years and then how you wound up. Because I do understand that, you know, that you have a background in filmmaking, but but it didn't sound like your previous projects were, you know, quite right. in this in this field. Sure. Well, uh, I'll just begin with the that I've been playing acoustic guitar since I was 15. So that gives you a little bit of a lead in to where I got to Bruce. But that was a long journey to get there. Um, no, I, I, I went to film school, uh, my 20s, early 20s. And um graduate school and um uh it was in you know it was a it was a very interesting program when we covered all the bases we had directing um we had uh screenwriting we had and documentary and so i kind of was uh, um introduced uh, a little more depth to all three of those areas of filmmaking but uh gravitated towards the documentary and uh it was an interesting program too because it was more aesthetic than technical. I mean, uh, the, the they get all, we had all the equipment. We had the cameras, the editing systems, but there was no instruction. Basically, students said that you figured that out, lighting, all that stuff. You guys figured out sound. You guys figured it out. Figure it out, and we'll provide you with the kind of more conceptual and aesthetic uh, uh, background or or, or components. Um, and that was actually great because as a class, as students, we worked together in each other's films. I would do sound on some of these films, some of the lighting from my film, you know, so it, it was, it, it gave us opportunity to, in terms of the hands-on stuff to really learn everything. Um, I was interested even then in psychological issues. My thesis film was on what it was still called at that time an orphanage. Um, uh, it was a basically a residential treatment center for kids who had been either abandoned or rewards of the state. And, um, uh, it was really a very powerful experience to make that film. Um, and based on that, the university hired me when I graduated to shoot films for the university. Um, and I did that for about six years uh, 
uh, documentary. Um, but I kept, I was very interested in the whole psychological piece. And I, I did a film on autism. I did a film on, uh, that was for the Yale Child Study Center. And um, I, I had this feeling that I, I didn't want to be behind a camera all my life. And uh, as a documentarian, I was, you know, I would direct and shoot my own film. So uh, I, I needed more personal engagement. So I decided to go back to school, uh, became a clinical social worker, um, moved to New York City, started a practice um, and did that for the rest of my career, essentially. Uh, I got a teaching position also at Fordham University, an administrative position, and I taught and did administrative work. During that whole time I was in the clinical field, I still made films. About every five or six years, I'd come up with an idea for a film. Uh, I did a film on uh, a teenage suicide, um, did a film on Alzheimer's, um, uh, did a film on uh, soup kitchens in New York City. And um, so I, I managed to stay in the field, just not as directly or as you know consistently. Um, I retired a few years ago. And when I retired, I, I, I thought, you know, all my films are on serious subjects. And I'd like to make a film that just personally resonated just on a very personal level. And even in film school, I remember thinking, boy, I would love to make a film about a guitar maker because I played the acoustic guitar. And that just wasn't in the works. And um, so upon retirement, I thought, you know, why don't I see if I can do that? Uh, I happened to get a flyer in the mail about a Luthier's convention in Woodstock, New York, which is about an hour from my home. Went up there, met Bruce Petros and his son, Matt, and also Mason Taylor, who performs in the film. And um, we talked about making a documentary, and that's how it began. Yeah, that's great. Um, it The film... Uh, showcases a lot of wonderful talent um, that rural Wisconsin kind of has hidden um, and the process of the guitar making as well. Um, I'm curious how long uh, did you spend making this film with Bruce and Matt and um, because we get to see almost the entire process it seems like of the guitar making. Yeah uh, when I first approached Bruce about doing this um uh, and this is a self-produced film. I you know, didn't get any outside funding for it. Um, Bruce said, well, how, how are you going to do this? You live in, you're in New York, I'm in Wisconsin. I said, well, I'll come out there for a week. And he said, well, we're going to have a hard time filming making guitar <laughs> in one week. It takes a lot longer than that. Um, and so I said, well, could you be doing several, I do make several guitars at, one, at the same time. Actually, he, he mentioned that. But I'm often making several guitars at the same time so we can just uh, you know, break it down like that. So I went out there in uh, in the summer, shot for six days, and then spent a couple of days filming Mason, who's one of the performers, because she's in the Milwaukee area. And um, went back and uh, looked at the footage, and I thought, I don't have enough. I just don't have enough. Uh, so I basically wrote down what I felt I needed, and... Um, went back one more time for about three or four days um, and finished the shooting. And uh, 
that's how we did it. it it's not the same guitar you're seeing built. Uh, it's several different guitars. That's great. But it really does feel, the film feels like you've spent a long time with them, like that you're almost part of the family. Um, so uh, nice job in making those 10 days feel like maybe months. Um, well, I'll tell you, well, they were long days. Uh, I mean, we're, <laughs> yeah. they were 12 hour days, but, and I, the, the Petros family, uh, uh, Katie, his wife, um, Matt and his wife and kids, they were enormously gracious. Um, you know, every day at 12 o'clock we'd break for lunch. And in fact, the first day we went to shoot, I, my wife and I, my wife did the sound. We, we brought a bag lunch cause we didn't want to impose and, Katie said, no, no bag lunches in this house. Every day at noon, we'd break and she'd have this lovely lunch set up, set up for us, you know, and, uh, and same with dinners. And um, so we became part of the family for those 10 days. They're just wonderful people. I was going to say, there's one, there's one scene where you're sort of having this outdoor picnic meal yeah. and there are these amazing looking cupcakes. And I was like, is this an everyday thing for them or <laughs> is it a birthday party or what? Because <laughs> I was yeah, like, no, no, that was a, that one evening they decided, they decided let's do a barbecue and, um, and their uh, granddaughter, uh, it was Haley, made the cupcakes. Here was my, here was a question that, that, that uh, came up in my head when you were talking about being at the Luthier convention. Had you up until that point ever heard of Petros guitars? Had you ever touched one? Did you own one? Um we tend to vacation in Michigan, my wife and I and the kids. Um, and there's a, a, a great um, music store in, La East, in Lansing, the Elderly Instruments. And I would go there every year uh, <clears throat> for an afternoon, check out the guitars. And there was a Petros there. And I picked it up and said, holy mackerel, that's an amazing instrument with an amazing price to boot. Um, but I didn't forget it. And uh, so when I saw that Bruce was um, going to be at the Luthiers convention, I thought of that guitar. And I said, I got to meet this guy. Well, you, I, I was, I appreciated that you used the word resonate before when you were talking about trying to find a film that resonated with you. And of course, this is all about incredibly resonant guitars. Um, I, I don't remember if it comes up in the film at all. What, what is a sort of a, I don't know if there's a standard price for these guitars, but what, what, you know, what price neighborhood are we in there? Well, he st he starts out at about ten thousand. Oh wow! Okay. And yeah, there. I mean, as you know, there everything is handmade. Not nothing. Um, uh, and although I'm not, I'm not sure Bruce would want me to advertise this, but he discounts. I mean, he, he'll negotiate. Um, but they can go up as high as thirty. Wow. Which you know, for for luthiers. Um, especially the ones at the high end, the master luthiers. And there are several out there. That's, that's not all that expensive. I mean, some of these really high end guitars can go into the close to the hundreds. Yeah. That's, I um, have a background in music and uh, that's not surprising to hear too much. Cause I know that violins that are like, well, yeah. well crafted are uh, also pretty pricey. Um, this film showcases a lot of great testimonials about the Petros guitars. Um, and I'm just curious because uh, you being a guitar player yourself, was there any temptation to put yourself into the movie at, one, at any point? Uh, no. Um, typically as a documentary and I, I, I don't. So I actually, the thought never occurred to me. And also I'm not at the level 
of guitar playing that these other people are. <laughs> so I don't think I would add much to the film. In fact, it could detract. <laughs> well, maybe this is a good time to ask you about the sound recording, which you said your wife did. Um, and there are a couple of shots in the film where you can see uh, a microphone yeah. or two that are set up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd love to hear about the sort of uh, trial and error and any experimentation you did, because the, I, I think, I mean, the sound is lovely throughout the film, but especially the musical performances, I think, wow, these guitars, I mean, people who have, you know, high-end uh, recording studios are probably like, wow, this is about as good as these guitars probably can be recorded on film. Well, that's an interesting little issue I had there. Well, first of all, I um, I was fortunate to have some decent guitars of my own. So before I went out there, I could do sound checks with these guitars, my own guitars. Um, and it actually wasn't all that complicated. I, I had a mic and I, I'm, at this point, I don't even, I couldn't tell you which, what they were. Um, well, it looked like you had one sort um, of a shotgun mic that you were using. Yeah, yeah it had a shotgun, was, yeah. And then there was an additional mic I saw yeah. with one of the guitar recordings. Yeah, there was, and I forgot what that was. But the Sennheiser, the shotgun really did better on the high ends. Mm-hmm. And the other mic did good on the low ends. And I thought um, that's the way to do it. And um, and I studied it, practiced it, and where to place them and everything at home, where where to aim the get the um, mics at the guitars, where you know, um, and uh, it seemed to work. I mean, it wasn't a great deal of experimentation. It seemed to kind of happen. Um, and I think you had another question there about that. Oh, oh I know what it is. Uh, initially, I wasn't going to have a sound mix, primarily because I couldn't afford it. At right. this point, you know, we had all the extra shooting, and um, uh, and I thought, no, if it, I thought the film was decent enough that I, I should enter it, probably try to enter it in festivals, and then I thought, got to have a mix because you know there are some. Just in terms of variance in room tone, I thought mm, I got I can't get away with that. So I had a mix, and um, actually, I thought in in some ways, and the musicians felt the same way that they thought there was a little bit too much compression on the guitars, and th- they thought um, the guitar sounded they they love the sound of the guitars, um, and so did Bruce. But they they felt the mix, which really again felt I had to do. They thought it compressed the sound a little bit too much, hmm. um, and so be it. So, but I, I still think they sound good, and they they thought they sounded it sounded good too. But they just that was the one issue they had with the film. Well, I will say that maybe maybe they, it sounds for for a documentary that feels very sort of low key and homemade and and you know. Um, crew of one all that stuff that maybe it sounds a little too good it almost sounds like there are times when i was like huh i'm sure he didn't but it mm-hmm. almost feels like they went in and recorded these things in a studio and then they're just sort of like playing along um so maybe that's what they were reacting to it almost feels like i've seen some concert uh-huh. movies that are like that there's like this mm-hmm. prince concert movie sign of the times where it's like boy they must have done a lot of sweetening afterwards because no matter where he is in relation to the vocal mic right. his vocals are like crystal clear and you're like huh did it really <laughs> did they really get that live on stage or did he go back in and do, sweeten some things right well, I told the mixer, and this was really weird too, because we had to do it all um, virtually. You know, I, I didn't go into the mixing studio because we couldn't, you know, because right. of COVID. So it was really kind of hard to do. 
Um, but I told them, I said, look, I, I want, you know, room tone evened out and, um, you know, some background sound. But I said, do as little with the guitars as possible because I just love the way they sound as is. You know, I said, leave them alone as best you can. You know, so. But, you know, they're such amazing guitars. You can't lose with them. <laughs> That's the other thing I was thinking. Maybe there is, the, maybe it's hard to get these guitars to sound anything other than great. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, in fact, I did a couple trial screenings before I did the final cut. And one was with a guitar society in in my area where I live. Um, and, you know, these guys didn't know about Petros guitars. And when they, I remember one guy said, you know, that's the best sounding guitar I've ever heard on film. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I sort of love the sound design or lack of sound design in the film. I mean, I love how quiet the film is when it's not, when we're not listening to music and it, but something occurred to me when I was rewatching it earlier today, uh, which is that, and, and this seems like certainly this is something you would have asked them to do for the camera, which is that we don't, while they're working, they aren't listening to music or they're not listening to talk radio or anything, but do they, do they ever like in, you know, without a camera crew there, did do they listen to music while they're working? You know, as I, I I don't think so. I know one time Bruce, when he was working at his desk, I think he was doing some fine work like uh, shaving a bridge or something. I think he had a CD on, but they tend to just um, not work as they did in the film, at least the best of my knowledge. Uh, plus, they may have different musical, <laughs> you know, they both work in the studio, in, the, in, the, in their studio together, so they may have different musical tastes, and that may explain one of the reasons why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the movie sort of casts a spell uh, in its sort of quiet, calm, um, and then, you know, punctuated by these beautiful guitar flourishes. Um, and, and then well, I was thinking, you. I was thinking it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm so sad that we're not actually showing films in theaters this year at oh, the festival, yeah. but I, I also kind of think that this is one of the films that we have that I, in a lot of ways, it's kind of nice to just be at home, sort of <laughs> kind of lay down on your <laughs> sofa and just kind of get into this meditative state that the movie takes you into as you, as you mm. watch these, these two craftsmen. Uh, Brody, did you have another thing you wanted to ask about? Yeah, um, I guess I'm curious what uh, your plans or hopes for this film are after it plays at the Wisconsin Film Festival. No, that's a that's a good question. I, I when I was making the film, it was just such a personal uh, project that um, I didn't, and I also I didn't know how how it would come out and you know how well it would come out and. Uh, and then when I thought there was something here, I thought, well, I should at least do the festival route. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's the kind of film that would be picked up by a distributor. Uh, um, uh, uh, so I, I, what I, I personally will do, because I, I, I personally like the film and like showing it, I, and the times that I did have um, public screenings, you know, pre-final cut screenings, um, I love the back and forth of the audience afterwards. I mean, it was just, just, just great. Um, so I'll probably just on my own tour with the film, you know, my wife and I, we travel a lot and uh, we're retired and I would take the film with me. And if there are museums or, you know, libraries or community centers that want to show it, 
and I'd be happy to do that and answer questions, you know. Um, so beyond the festival and uh, in that, I, I don't know. Again, unless I, if a distributor wants to pick it up, that'd be great. But I don't have a lot of expectation there. I, I you know, I don't think this film would be out of place uh, on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh hmm. I watch a bunch of documentaries on those on those streaming platforms, and I think that this is every bit as well made and and interesting and and appealing to a niche audience that they you know there's all kinds of stuff on those streaming platforms. I would you know I would at least and I don't know anything about how to do that you know or what the process is, but I I I wouldn't rule that out. I I would think this might find a place out on the internet. Uh, for people well, to that's enjoy. Helpful. That, well, thank you. That's a, I, you know, I, I, um, I will certainly look into that. I mean, that's a, a venue I would love to explore. Um, I, I had one other question, um, uh, in watching them work. Um, I was, I was curious about how different their process is from sort of maybe larger, more commercial, more industrialized, uh, guitar manufacturers. Uh, do you have a sense of 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 what things are the same, no matter who's making guitars, versus what they're doing, you know, with their hands and with sort of hand tools, as opposed to I don't know the way you know Yamaha or Fender uh, makes their acoustics. Yeah, I think it's night and day. In fact, um, when I was doing research on the film, I came across a. a five, 10 minute video on how factory guitars are made. And yeah, you could show it in five minutes. <laughs> Just, wow, they go right through them from one machine to the next. And um, Bruce and Matt, they make, everything is handmade. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's as, as Matt says, I says, I, I love taking a piece of wood and making a neck out of it. I mean, I love to watch him just carve that neck, you know, that he's putting his whole body into it. And, Factory guitars machine does that. I mean, he's well, just no. Go ahead. Well, what about the stuff that happens with the body of the guitar, where they have to bend it and make shapes? Is that something that 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 can be done another way in a factory, where it's not involving like soaking it in water and and heating it up and doing all that stuff they do with that steel plate that they sort of yeah. also shape? I suspect they do it the same way. Okay. Um, I, I, they may have machines doing it though. Um, uh, you know, I <laughs> don't, don't, don't include this because uh, by the way, I'd say Bruce was very respectful of machine made guitars. And <clears throat> the, the only one time he, he said the difference between machine made guitar and mine is that we, uh, shave the wood, the tops, according to each piece of wood, what, you know, and then the size so, and he said, in a factory guitar, every piece of wood from the same tree is put through the same, um, uh, what's, I forget the name of the machine. Um, anyways, uh, that's the only time he ever said anything. Um, but many years ago, I uh, I went to a tour of the Martin Guitar Comp- uh, Factory. You know, Martin guitars are the premier American guitars. They're great guitars, I have one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're lovely guitars. And, um, I remember going through this small little, uh, uh, it wasn't a factory, it was a lot of people working by hand, you know, doing stuff. 
And I thought, wow, this is amazing because they crank out a lot of guitars. But at one point we walked by this area and there was a window and I looked in down the window and there was this huge factory with tons of machinery. And I thought, hmm, this isn't part of the tour. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, one of the other thing Bruce said, he said, he said uh, and actually Matt said this, he said, you know, the difference in the factory guitars is you get one person doing one thing. One person's doing the, the neck carving machine and they hand it to somebody else. And he said, it's, it's kind of, we, you know, my father and I, we are the whole guitar, you know? And I thought that's very interesting, you know? Um, um, so there's a difference there too, you know? Well, actually that's a question that I have and I can't remember if this gets spelled out in the film or not. Do they, do the two of them collaborate on the same guitar or are they working sort of side by side on their own guitars? They both, they collaborate on the same guitar. Each has a different task. Um, Matt does more of the, uh, the body work, the neck, the kind of the rough stuff, um, the, the shaping, the carving. Um, and then Bruce, although I think Bruce does the, uh, the curved part, um, Bruce does the more finer stuff at this point, um, uh, like the bridge, shaving the bridge, um, and, uh, and, and some other things. But um, his is more of the fine work. Mm -hmm. um, at this point and he's he's semi-retired also wow now bruce plays guitar at least a little bit but does matt play guitar at all uh matt played guitar for a while i think in a band um but none of them are really musicians neither of them are really musicians um matt matt builds huge airplane model airplanes and flies them you know that's the kind of thing he does and, um and I, I think I find that interesting, you know, that these, you know, um, and I wonder about other luthiers too, how much of the musicians they are, you know. Yeah, or even even music lovers, because that's maybe one of the things I was trying to get at to find out whether they listen to music while they work or or much at all, because I do think that there are people who are these in incredible craftsmen. You know, and it applies to all kinds of the arts. I mean, there are filmmakers that I know who aren't particularly film fans. They don't watch yeah. a lot of movies. Right. They don't really care about right. the history of film, but they're amazing right. filmmakers. Right. And so I wonder if that's the case with them, where they're, where music isn't really their thing, but it's their it's their craft. Could be. It, it could be. Um, they know certainly know a lot of musicians, but whether they follow it that closely, I, I, I don't think they do. But I, that's interesting that you said about... Um, other other art forms and i know um you know i i love literature and i know there are one of the uh, one of the authors i like uh, theodore dreiser he, he wasn't much mm. of a reader that's mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. just how it is you know yeah well i mean i talk to filmmakers all the time and i'm and and, and or some and sometimes very surprised i'll, I'll reference a film and i know yeah. that i'll realize oh they don't know they don't even know what i'm saying I'm like, okay never mind well you're looking at one of them uh, <laughs> well and I, I find it mortifying, you know, I mean, and people kind of look at me and scratch their heads, you know. And, <laughs> no, but I, but I, you know, I, I do have I, my favorites. Yeah. And I and I think it's a totally legitimate thing. I mean, I think, you know, you don't have to be you don't have to be like an enthusiast or a fan of something to be able to be a really good craftsman or artist at that, at you know, at that field or art. So, you know, I, I have my favorites and then I I look at them very closely. 
you know, I think that's, to me, that's where it is. You know, that's where it's at. Here's my own development, you know. Um, I want to do what he does. I want to do it like he like he did it, you know. Do you have a documentary filmmaker that you that you sort of have studied and really looked up to and kind of wanted to emulate at all? Well, f- certainly Freddie Wise, mm-hmm. um, who I got to meet a couple times. Oh, um, wow. And then my film mentor, uh, Michael Romer, he's now in his 90s, still writing scripts. Um, but he made some wonderful documentaries and uh, I learned a lot from him at film school and uh, he, he made one on uh, uh, a ghetto in, in Sicily and it's he made it when he was in his 20s and I still think that's one of the best documentaries I ever saw well Dale thanks again for bringing your film to us we're really excited for people to see it and thanks for spending some time with us today talking about it well, thank you guys, um, uh, Brody and, and, and Ben. And um, again, I was honored to be accepted at this festival. I mean, it's really very gratifying. And uh, and also just by the nature of your questions and the response uh, of the film, I'm gratified by that. I mean, I feel you guys really saw it. And uh, and you said things oh, yeah, I, hadn't, saw it. I hadn't heard before. And, I, you know, that's, that means a lot to me. It means a lot. So thank you guys. Thank you.